Welcome to Literary Anything, our City of Marion Library's podcast where we talk about anything literary and literary anything. I'm Jane. I'm Paula. Hello. Welcome back. We've been excited about this episode. We have. As I think everybody has been excited about. They did a good job of hyping up yeah, this book. Really? Yep. So we're just going to launch straight in? Launch straight in. Okay. So we should we, say. We read The Testaments by Margaret Atwood. Yep. Highly anticipated follow-up yes. to The Handmaid's Tale. Yes. How many years later? Uh, when did this come out? Handmaid's Tale came out in 1985. Right. So What's 24. Is it 24? 24. I think it's 30. Is it? We're bad at math. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> 85, 95, 2005, 2015, 67, 33 years. Oh, wow. I'm really bad at math. I used my fingers then too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> very good with words. Yes, not so much with the numbers. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, so it's a been long a while. time. Yeah, so it's published 33 years later after The Handmaid's Tale, but the book takes place 15 years after the end of The Handmaid's Tale right. in the book. Right. One of the things I wanted to talk about was the Amazon mm. debacle, do we call it? Fiasco? Underhanded, seemingly. I think it was all just so dodgy. So dodgy. Yeah. How much do we hate Amazon? Are we allowed to say that? It's well, probably I don't know if you can say that if you use it. So right. I'm not going to say anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, then I can say it then because <laughs> I just use the library and so should you. <laughs> so um, tell but us what yes, happened. What we're talking about is the fact that there was an embargo on this book, which mm-hmm. they do sometimes yeah. with, you know, big I don't know in what cases do they do um, embargoes I mean I think technically most of them do have embargoes on right. on their release dates but I think these big ones so you think things like Harry Potter I was just going to say Harry um, Potter, any yeah. highly anticipated follow-up anything like that right they're they're like hardcore about their embargo dates yes and you times. cannot put it out until mm. this date and for the testaments it was the 10th of September 1201 a.m. a.m. we mm. saw I think it was one of the bookshops posted. Yeah, yeah, Shakespeare's. We love Shakespeare's. Um, they posted a photo on their Instagram of the box that said, do not open until yeah. Yeah. Um, 10th of September, and 10, this 1201. Book is, this book in particular as well, people weren't getting, often when a book comes out, um, publishers will send out reader copies or proof copies. This one didn't, nobody had their hands on this before that box arrived in their store or Except their library. the Booker Prize people. Except for them. Yeah. Yes, because <laughs> this is already on the Booker Prize list. Yeah, well before it was even released to the public. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But Amazon shipped out 800 copies to mm-hmm. people who had ordered it um, from Amazon. How early was it? Was I can't, it was at least a couple of days, I reckon. Yeah, which is so crappy for all I know. the... And I'm doing air quotes now. I'm saying accidentally. Yeah, definitely air quotes around that. I mean, what a kick in How the hard is it? Yeah. Like, you know, they. I'm sure they deal with embargoes all... Well, they mm. do. They would of course they do. deal with embargoes mm. all the time. So, um, yeah. And that spoils it for everyone. It does. It's kicking the guts for the bricks and mortar stores. That's and right. Yeah. And then there were, you know, people were uh, posting reviews, of course, mm. and spoilers. And, yep. and 800 copies doesn't sound like a lot, but in this day and age where people can spread information so easily and so quickly, exactly. like you said, reviews are out there, spoilers are out there. It was bad news. Yep. So, uh, you know. And understandably, like you say, all the bricks and mortar shops yeah. were 
very upset. Yeah, and I think that um, embargoes are fairly – I think they're fairly rigidly enforced, but, you know, it's Amazon. It's Right. You know, what so are they going to no, do? Oh, yeah. here's your $100,000 fine. Mm, oh, well. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. That's one millisecond of – Income right, and now all the people who you know would have ordered it um, or bought it from the bricks and mortar stores are going to think, oh well, why don't I just get it from Amazon? Because then I might might get get it it earlier. Exactly. Anyway, that sucked. That sucked. Yep. (laughs) Um, Shall we read? I thought maybe just yeah, good idea. Read this inside flap, which I thought was intriguing. Mm. It says, "Our time together is about to begin, my reader." Possibly you will view these pages of mine as a fragile treasure box to be opened with the utmost care. Possibly you will tear them apart or burn them. That often happens with words. You hold in your hands a dangerous weapon, loaded with the secrets of three women from Gilead. They are risking their lives for you, for all of us. Before you enter their world, you might want to arm yourself with these thoughts. Knowledge is power, and history does not repeat itself, but it rhymes. Mm. I know. What do you think that means? I don't know. Oh. Because <laughs> I, I was very, you know, literally speaking, I'm like, but that doesn't rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> to me, it meant when history repeats itself, it's not yes. exactly the same, but there are echoes. Yes. That's what yeah. it meant to me. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. It's um, similar but different. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked it. I liked, I liked that. Of course quote. you do. I <laughs> love word things. <laughs> <laughs> so, as we've talked before, I couldn't get through The Handmaid's Tale mm. when I first tried it a number of years ago. And we talked about this this week. I think it was because I I was either pregnant or I had just had a baby and I had tried ridiculously to try and read The Handmaid's Tale. I mean, for goodness sake. Not good. No. Pregnancy so hormones. And no. And your baby. Anyway. Yep. So I made the decision to read The Handmaid's Tale and then straight away read The Testaments. Like reread Handmaid's with a clearer, less foggy baby brain mm. and... Yeah, so I'm just going to preface all of that with this. So yeah, I that was good because I didn't do that. I I wanted to, but I just didn't. I ran out of time. Well, yeah. um, but so it's so it'll be interesting to mm. see because it's been probably 20 years since I read The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, um, and I also haven't watched any of the TV series, yes. and you've watched all of it. I, I've watched all of season one and some of season two. Okay, yeah, so. That will colour our yeah. opinions probably a little bit. Yeah, and certainly it coloured my when I was envisioning mm. it in my head. I was picturing the actors in yeah, which I think actually helped. But anyway, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, and I also made the point that I didn't find it hard to get through The Handmaid's Tale this time. Right. And I said to Paula earlier, it's probably because my kids are older and they annoy me now. <laughs> so wouldn't be bad if they got taken away oh, for a couple of hours. I can't believe you said that out loud, much less on the podcast. <laughs> I obviously don't mean it, but... No, I, as, as mothers, we've all been there. Yeah. Yep. So it was quite nice to get through the book this time. Right. <laughs> Not so much dystopian fiction for Jane, it's utopian. It's not horrible. She gets hours by herself. <laughs> That's horrible. Just kidding. So, <clears throat> the book has got three narrators. There's Aunt Lydia. Yes. Agnes. Yes. Who 
was stolen as a young child, a toddler, maybe yeah, older she than a toddler. Faintly remembers running away, yeah, yeah, um, and given to a commander and his wife, and then Nicole. What was her, book, her name before she realized she was Nicole? I can't remember. Uh. No, I can't remember either. Let's call it Nicole. Yeah, the sake who ends up being Nicole. Baby Nicole. Yeah. That's right. So it um, flicks between their accounts right. and it's told in their recounting their experiences. Right, because the reason it's called the Testaments mm. is like it's presented as testimony. That's right. From these three women who've yep. lived through Gilead. Yeah. In a time when Gilead is no longer, yes, right? Yes, yeah. because mm. there's um, – and if you remember at the end of Handmaid's Tale and then also at the end of this book, there was sort of like a – you know, the scene is set that they're at a conference, like yes. a historical conference and Gilead is like this um, period of time to be studied mm. and understood in History. a similar way to how you might look at the Roman times mm. or, I don't know, ancient Egypt or something like that. and. Mm. When they're at this conference, it's in 2145, like hundreds of years later. Yeah. I think it was 2145. But anyway, mm. what did you think? Um, I loved Aunt Lydia's POV in this. I love mm-hmm. that they went to Aunt, Aunt Lydia. Yeah. Um, and that we got a lot more backstory for her, for her. Yeah. And the fact that she was a judge before Gilead Mm -hmm. um rose yeah and um her that we got more of her motivations and how she became who she became because in the handmaid's tale and yeah i wanted your opinion on this because i kind of can't really remember now i'm only remembering the tv series but she was she seemed evil and that was i have this in my notes somewhere here that aunt lydia when i read the handmaid's tale she didn't seem to be um as prominent a figure as I think maybe she seems to be in the TV series. Oh, okay. So she's obviously horrible in The Handmaid's Tale and she's um, um, committing all these atrocities, I guess, in the name of Gilead and um, her faith, I guess. Um, But she didn't seem as um, this... uh, Central a character? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was more about um, Offred. Yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So I was interested to see what you thought about Aunt Lydia. It seems like the book picked up the fact that she's this very central character in the TV series. Yeah. And have played along with that, which I don't think is a bad thing. I don't think the melding of different genres of the same story is a bad thing. No, yeah, I I agree with you. And I loved when I realised that it was Aunt Lydia Mm. who, um, you know, was writing that part yeah. of the book I was like oh yeah that's brilliant I love I love that she's not just this sort of one-dimensional evil yeah. character but that they're showing where she came from and and that she actually isn't one-dimensionally evil at all oh, it really rounded out the character yeah yeah to the point I actually wanted more of that mm. I wanted to hear more about I, I wanted more of um the 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 narration of how she became who she became. Yeah. They did. They touched on it a little bit, mm. but yeah, I would have liked more of that. Yeah, I mean, in The Handmaid's Tale, she's um, there's a feeling of how could she, or any of the aunts, and the wives, I guess as well. How can how can they do this to a fellow 
woman, how could you treat us like this or the handmaids like this or whatever? Mm. Um, or how can you go along with this? But once you read the Testaments, you get an understanding of how they can go along with it. Yeah, and basically she had no choice, really. It was either yeah. go along with it. And quietly, what you don't realise in The Handmaid's Tale is um, not only just go along with it, but mm. quietly work in the background to hopefully do yeah. something eventually to topple. I mean, this is the epitome of playing the long game, isn't <laughs> Big it? Big time. I couldn't, I don't have the patience. <laughs> I couldn't do that. Meticulously playing the long game yes. to bring down documenting and keeping secrets and keeping them for a time when you can use them that's right to get people to do what you want to do yeah Yeah. it was um I really I loved it so much really oh yeah I thought it was just fabulous it was very much a fast-paced page turner yeah how did you feel the two, because you read them back to yeah, back. Yeah. How did, because to me, the tone was completely different. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to remember back, you know, like I say, 20 years, but how yeah. did it seem to you? Um, the thing I like about dystopian novels is I like understanding the minutiae and the detail of what the world is like and how things work and the different um you know, languages that they use and things like that. And I found I got more of that in the Testament than mm. I did The Handmaid's Tale, probably because there's three different um, voices that you're hearing from. Um, so I felt like you got a really good understanding of Gilead and how it works and why it's the way it is. And um, that's something that I like about dystopian writing. Mm. So it was very... Um, yeah, it was much faster paced. Yeah. Much quicker to read. It took me two days to read this, mm. whereas it took me probably, I don't know, almost a week to read The Handmaid's Tale. Right, which is much smaller. smaller. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just thought it was fabulous and I love getting resolutions in dystopian novels. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. the payoff. It's the payoff for the trauma. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I found I... I was loving it until about two thirds of the way through, and then it got a bit too. I don't. I don't necessarily want everything wrapped up at the end of my any fiction, really. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it I got I, quicker at the end, which is normal in a book when you're reaching that sort of um, climax, climax yeah. of action, mm-hmm. and then you know. Um, but yeah, I thought the same thing. I don't. I, but like I said, I like, I love everything tied up in a neat okay, little bow. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of? Um, we've talked a lot about Aunt Lydia. So we had the two other perspectives. We had Agnes and Daisy, or Baby Nicole. Right. Um, what did you get out of their perspectives? In the past, we've talked about. Um, older authors writing younger mm. voices and not yes. and missing the mark yes and didn't you feel that um despite being an older author that margaret atwood was is like it the the younger um baby nicole's voice mm. um rang true for me yes totally that is such a great point because we have and not necessarily on the podcast but paul and i've had conversations because i find it frustrating when older authors try miss and the mimic. mark yeah and it's just so Lame. Cringy. It's, it's so, so cringy. cringy. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
But I, yeah, I didn't even notice it. So I Perfect. guess that's there exactly the point, isn't it? That, yeah. You know, and she was writing from three different ages of women seamlessly. Yes. Yeah, it did seem seamless. Um, yeah. Now but I've forgotten your question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did you get from um, getting Agnes's and baby Nicole's perspective? Yeah, it was interesting. The difference... Um, with the testaments is having somebody that has grown up in Gilead and mm. never experienced anything else. Um, you know, the Handmaid's Tale, y- you know, there's um, so much angst, obviously, um, you yeah. know, from being in one world and then being thrust into another, yeah. whereas Agnes, that's all she knows. So it, her complacency is understandable. Yeah. Mm. Definitely, and her just, this is how it is, and reading is just not something that I do. Yeah. And that was, I liked liked getting the the next generation's perspective of life in Gilead. Yes, and then it was, um, it it made it that much more interesting to have um, Daisy's perspective, because she's from the outside, and then you see these two women who you come to understand are sisters yeah um and how they've grown up so differently mm. and yeah so one of the things that comes up at the sort of end of the book and I don't know where you where you fell within the book with guessing who baby Nicole was actually Daisy I mean it's fairly um obvious to me that it was going to be her mm. um, from the beginning. Mm. Um, but I didn't really pick up on it, them both being June's daughters. Right. I kind of thought that they might tie that up, but they didn't really absolutely tie that up um, because at the end of Handsmaid's Tale, and this again might be because I've not watched the TV series, at the end of Handmaid's Tale she's bundled into one of those um, special – vans and taken away she's pregnant and she's taken away um she doesn't have the baby we don't absolutely know who the father is even though we know that it's nick um so we never really know what happens to her but then i think that's resolved in the tv series i maybe can't. it's season three because you've not seen yeah i haven't season, seen season three, season three and i can't remember do you I guess my question is do you like that it was not absolutely confirmed that both girls were of Fred's daughters? I uh, see I thought that it was to oh, me was it? yeah to me it it was confirmed and I I yeah like you saw from the beginning that Daisy was mm. Nicole mm. um I also thought that Agnes was yes. June's daughter. Yes, I did pick put those two together. Right. Yes. But I had forgotten that June was pregnant at the end of Handmaid's Tale. Yes. So it kind of occurred to me that perhaps they were sisters at one point, but yeah. but because I'd forgotten that. Yeah. Um yeah. There's a little bit of ambiguity about that. See, it oh, right. Okay. I'm going to have to go back and look at it again because mm. to me it, I didn't think it was ambiguous at all. I it thought was just that, yeah. yeah. I mean they Cuz well they're sis- they say they're sisters. They do say they're sisters and then they um talk you know how they've got that conference um speakers at the historical conference at the end there's mention in there that you know historical dating and data are showing that potentially um 
of Fred or the writer of The Handmaid's Tale is the mother of these two. So they're sort of saying we think it's probably, you know, this is the mum and these are the kids, but we're not sure. Okay. (laughs) We read it differently. Yeah, we did. (laughs) (laughs) Did you like that that happened though? Did you like that they were – I did. Reunited and I did. this is the I re- thing. I was yeah. really glad, especially, like I said, I forgot about um, Daisy, so I wasn't thinking so much about her, but mm. I was really happy for um, Agnes and June or Offred yeah. to be reunited because it was yeah. just so heartbreaking oh, yeah. when they took her away. Horrible. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked that as well. Yeah. But yeah, I like resolutions. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you this was a quote from an author called Julie Myerson I haven't read any of her books but this is a quote because she's going to read uh, talk about the book with her book group and this is her quote she said I have my own test of what makes a truly great work of fiction can you revisit it at a later point in your life and read the whole read a whole different novel in other words is the novel sufficiently elastic and slippery and enigmatic to grow with you. Yeah, that's excellent. I know, what a cool... That's very cool. Elastic, slippery and <laughs> enigmatic. What a lovely sentence. Mm. Do you think The Testaments is this? I'm not sure. That's a really good question because mm. obviously The Handmaid's Tale yes. is yes. for sure. I mean, I we've agree. seen that. It's, it's amazingly yeah. so. And it's one of those books that you could read as... Um, I mean, when you first read it, you would have been – you read it a long time ago, so yep. you would, wouldn't have been a mother at that point That's in time. Right, yep. So you've got a different um, perspective on life had you read it again now, say. Mm. And again, you know, when you're older, yeah. you read it differently. That's right. The Testaments, however, I think is more explicit in its plot and there's not a lot of give and a lot, not a lot of um, room for – different interpretations I would agree with that yeah yeah so I mean like I said because I read both back to back I kind of lumped them all together so I kind of put them in um it's hard to differentiate them but yeah I think handmaids yes testaments less so that's interesting yeah Mm. because even though you yeah you did put them all together so you could see that Mm. difference you felt that difference between the two and I don't necessarily think that's a – it's not a bad thing in the Testaments because, like I've said, I like resolution. I like the detail of these sorts of dystopian novels. So that didn't doesn't bother me. But I think, um, yeah, if you're expecting literary ambiguity, mm. you, you won't get that with the Testaments. Yeah, I think what we're talking about here is what makes a classic – Yes. When we did get yes. into classics last year, um, mm. I put a lot of quotes up about um, what makes a classic and pretty much that's yeah. it, that definition that you've just read. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure if – I, get, I you know, only the test of time will tell, but I'm not this sure if the testaments lives up to the status of classic. <laughs> so you usually ask me this, but I'm yes. going to ask you oh, this gosh. this time. Like, okay. Who should read this? Who should read this? I think anyone who likes speculative fiction, dystopian fiction should read this. Anyone who's read 
anyone, there's a lot of people I know who haven't read The Handmaid's Tale, but they've watched the series. I think they should read this. I don't think that's going to ruin anything. Um, and it's not, and I wrote this down as well. When Game of Thrones finished, there was a lot of outrage on the internet about how it ended. Yes. Because it did depart from the books. Now, I haven't read the Game of Thrones series, but I know that he's still writing the last one now. That's right. So I feel like there were some lessons learnt by maybe Margaret and the publishers possibly Mm. and whether there was some discussions with the um, makers of the TV show as well about making sure they're collaborating on Mm. the direction of the story so that when this came out, there's still the opportunity for the TV series to continue on without things being ruined. Yeah. Whereas um, in Game of Thrones, you know, character arcs were abandoned and storylines were abandoned and it just kind of got wrapped up without any sort of thought to the series as a whole. Mm, The people were not happy. They were really unhappy. Yeah. And I think as somebody who I didn't read the Game of Thrones novels either, but even without that, I was unhappy because I just Mm. felt like what started off as really well-developed characters were just, as you say, abandoned. That's right. And I don't think that will happen with this. No. Yeah, um, Yeah, I would say, I would, it seems to me that Margaret Atwood was catering toward um, fans of the TV series mm-hmm. with this novel. Yeah. Um, but I wonder, do you still consider this to be literary fiction? Oh, do you think this is um, edging into popular fiction? I, I think so. And I think mm. that was purposeful. Yes. And so I think some fans of Atwood are going to uh-huh. be disappointed if yeah. what they're anticipating is literary fiction because I think this edges into sort of, uh, yeah, more genre. It's more of an accessible piece yeah. of work. And I don't yeah. think, I agree with you, I don't think that that's a bad thing. I yeah. think if people are fans of the show and, like you say, haven't read Atwood, mm. but this is their gateway into yeah. some of her writing, then, you know, yeah. why not? I, I think you're spot on. That's a really good point. Absolutely. What did you think? Now, I had a conversation with a girlfriend about this. What did you think of the unusual names? Oh, and yeah, and not consistently unusual names, yeah. though. Like Shunamite. Yes. And I didn't know what to make of that. I know, and I had a conversation with a girlfriend about how you pronounce that. Because, you know, when you read books and you sort of in your head, it just sounds like whatever. Mm. But then I thought, she said, now, how are you going to pronounce <laughs> Her name on the podcast. I'm like, oh. oh, yeah. And maybe I just pronounced it wrong. Is that how you were? Well, she listened to the um, audio book. Oh. And so she sent me a text and said it's like, she sent me two emojis, a shoe and a stick of dynamite. So shunamite. So she said it sounds like shunamite. Shunamite. I said shunamite, but it's shunamite. Yeah. So who does the audio book? Is it Margaret Atwood? Uh, I think it is. Right. I think it's an assortment of voices because oh, okay. I think each um, character's got a different name. And I think Margaret Atwood's one of them. Maybe Aunt Lydia. Yeah. I know in the TV series she has a brief cameo as an aunt. Oh, does she? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because cool I was like, that's Margaret Atwood. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the kind of detail that I like. I like that, you know, Gilead's this, um, you know, made up world, really. Mm. And 
you know, of course, a made-up world. They're not going to have names that are like Jane and Paula. Right. They're going to be weird new names. Yeah, and that was funny about how some of them took their names from um, things that mm. – What? how did she say that? Were um, meant something in – Oh, I'm totally butchering it, but yeah, th- you know, so they had a list of sanctioned names that they could yes. use, and some, one of them was Maybelline. That's <laughs> right. Oh, yes, it was female um, focused brands. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yes, yeah, that was a good. Def- that that was, was a nice little point. Mm. Um, you know, the other thing I wanted yes. to talk about, um, of course, is the I would say small but pivotal role that the library. <laughs> played yeah <laughs> always yeah 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 I loved that I, I loved um I loved uh, who was it not yeah it was Agnes Agnes was the one who grew up in Gilead right yes 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 I loved her um you know being inducted yes. into being an aunt and then she gets access to the library and yeah. she's like what's a library yeah and I just love pondering the fact that you know, it's not for nothing that the handmaids in mm. Gilead do not have access to not just the library, but books, or writing, words, words. Nothing. they don't know how to read. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, so, yeah. Yeah, I had that as well. That I, I really loved that the theme in the book, one of the themes, I guess, was the, it was quite evident, the power of literacy mm. and how powerful that is to have access to and the connections that you can draw from having access to words and then therefore you have power if you've got access to words and access to literacy. That's right. And even as, a, as mothers, I'm sure um, you can relate to this, Jane, that when your child learns to read, yeah. they gain a significant level of independence that's yeah. quite amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, we see that every day and yeah. it's just, um, yeah, it's really interesting. We take these things for granted. Yeah. I think we take libraries for granted. Yes. Um, so, yeah, to to think about a world where you don't have access to yeah. those things. And when governments start defunding libraries, closing yeah. libraries, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, I guess you could say, well, this is fiction and that would never happen. But, you know, Margaret Atwood has been um, very open about the fact that nothing that she's put in yeah. um, Handmaid's Tale and now Testaments is not something that hasn't happened in... It's something um, that's happened somewhere. Somewhere in, some in the culture. world yeah. in time. Yes, yeah. yes. Everything is based on something yeah. that existed. So we can't get too sort of comfortable and lax yeah. and too that complacent. would never happen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is why I think The Handmaid's Tale, um, you know, obviously resonated so much with people in 2016. Oh, absolutely. Mm. And I've got that point here as well Mm. and just to go back to the literacy and the connections to power it also took it's also evident what happens to a world where women's voices are lost or quietened um and not just women's but a loss of access to a diversity of voices and a diversity of stories um is not really a world that any of us want Mm, that's right yeah Um, and and how when people are silenced what goes on underneath, you know, it's not yeah. like everybody is just kowtowing. There's all kinds of oh, corruption yeah. and, and power play happens. that's happening. That's right, yeah. underneath the surface. It's all happening, as yeah. like in Jezebel's, mm. you know, in the book, how all of this stuff that's forbidden. I don't know what book you're talking about right this now. This one, you know, where they go to Jezebel's oh. and um, 
you know, that's where all the sex and the drugs oh, right. and the, it's like I this harm about that. of. Is that in the Testaments or is that just in Handmaid's Tale? No, I think it's in this. Is it in this yeah, too? Yeah, because Agnes. Oh, is it? No, I think that's in Handmaid's. Yeah, that's Sorry. why I didn't immediately. Sorry. Yeah, but now I remember. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a giant book in my head, both of them together. <laughs> yeah, I could see how it would be because yeah. you read them back to back and they're in the same world. <laughs> um, I wonder if the books feel more relevant in today's political climate and societal climate than when The Handmaid's Tale was first published in the 80s. What do yeah. you think? Well, yeah, and I think that's, you know, lent its – the reason why it's had this rise is because mm. it seems prescient and you think, yeah. how did Margaret Atwood see this coming? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's so – I mean, particularly for women in the US, mm. I think this is a fairly – Topical. Yeah, it's topical, mm. it's concerning, it's mm. worrying. I mean, there's been a whole heap of things um, that have been going on in the US the last couple of years that restrict women's um, reproductive rights That's right. and all of that sort of stuff. And it is, it's a bit, um, I feel like it might cut a little close to home for yeah, some people. Yeah, definitely. It definitely does, I think. And it yeah, it demonstrates the slippery slope That's of right. the reduction of rights. That's right, and why you have to slowly, be, yeah, and then yeah, yeah, great, yeah. Have you got anything else you wanted wow. to desperately with with regard to yeah. the testaments? No, I think we, I think we. I don't think people are going to be disappointed. I think if you, you know, so often we you read a second book or a follow up to something, and it's can be disappointing. I don't think you're going to be disappointed with this, even with your point about it not being probably technically literary fiction. I don't think that matters. I think it depends. I think if, you know, yeah, if you're anticipating literary fiction, I think so, some people might, think they might, be, might disappointed. be disappointed. Yeah. It is. Um, yeah. And I, because uh, I um, read some of the Goodreads mm. um, comments and there is that, there are those. Oh, is there? Yeah. I didn't read any reviews. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, the ending being a bit, like all the sort of sci-fi dystopian tropes coming into right, it. Right, right. Yeah, there were... Um, a yeah. bit of that. Uh, there is a bit of that. Yeah. But I think broadly people are going to love this book. Yeah. Yeah. They already do, don't they? Oh, I meant, so to, I meant to say a spoiler copies. at the beginning saying we're really going to take a deep dive and talk about it all and then I forgot. Oops. Well. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry <laughs> if you haven't read it yet. I'm sure you picked that up along the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Oh, shall we talk about what else we've been reading? Sure. Do you want me to go first? Or do sure. You, go first? you go first. I read so many books this month. I, I can't know. even believe it. Look at you. Is it because you had a trip and you were on the plane and you got to read some stuff? Well, I read the Testaments while I was away. I was only away for two days. Um, I don't know. I just, mm. well, I've. My house is full of washing, so no washing's been done for a month, but I got lots of reading done. Oh, I put a post on Instagram about that the other day. Did you see that? It's called procrastinating. Oh. <laughs> I did a lot of that. Yes. <laughs> Love procrastinating. So a couple of books I read, um, and this is a complete departure from The Handmaid's Tale. Okay. Uh, it's called The Model Wife by Tricia Stringer. Um, this is a South Australian author. She's written loads of books. Rural Romance, Ruro. Ruro. <laughs> We're going to say this time, it's Rural Romance. <laughs> say that ten times fast. Oh, Rural <laughs> Romance. Um, 
this came out um, at the end of last month. Not entirely my given or Usual. preferred genre, mm. but it's a nice little romantic novel that um, if you're into that sort of thing, you'll love this. It's good to set read out South of your Australia. genre sometimes. Yes, yeah, set in true. South Australia. That's she's a South cool. Australian author, which is great, and I think that's why I picked it up because she's a South Aussie and, you know. We like to support our locals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I believe she might be appearing at, I think, West Torrens Library in the next month or two. So if you're into her books, then check them out. Cool. Don't take that as gospel. What's like, that? Oh, that, that she's going to be West there. Torrens, oh, yeah. okay. Maybe that's a secret. I don't know. Maybe it's not <laughs> out there Library yet. secrets. <laughs> All right. What else have you got? Um, well, I read Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. I think that's how you say um, her surname. Um, a few people around here read it and loved it, so I thought I'd um, um, give it a go. It starts off with um, the Richardson family standing on their lawn watching their house burn down, and their younger sibling, Izzy, is missing, and everyone suspects that she has set this fire. And then they go back in time to when um, this mother and daughter move into the rental property that the Richardsons own and the families become entwined. And it's this sort of, it's this juxtaposition of this large, you know, mom and dad, four kids, um, well off, very well established in the community, that family. And, um, this sort of nomadic mother and daughter that move into the house and um, they find out a secret about the mother and um, the story sort of unfolds from there. So it's about families um, and it's particularly about the bond between mother and daughter. It's very, it's a very powerful theme in, in this book. Um, and the other thing about it is that Hello Sunshine, which we've talked about before as Reese Witherspoon's um, production company, yes. has picked this up um, and is going to be making it into a miniseries. Uh, yeah, with Reese Witherspoon Ooh, starring. She's usually pretty on the money, isn't she? She is. Mm. And Carrie Washington plays the um, the other mother. Reese Witherspoon plays Mrs. Richardson. Um, so, yeah, she's, yeah, as you say, she's on the money. So this, um, you know, if you... Um, are looking forward to that miniseries. Maybe you want to read the book that it came from first. Mm. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Um, another book I read, now that I've opened the floodgates of dystopian fiction. Oh, you're just going, going all the way. Now. Yeah. So <laughs> I read this book. It's called The Book of the Unnamed Midwife by well, Meg Ellison. Wife is definitely a theme. I know. Model wife. It mid is. Midwife. <laughs> Handmaids. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Hmm. That's true. Um, this is a 2014 book. It's post-apocalyptic. It's pretty hardcore. Um, some parts are really tough to read. It's very um, violent. It's very sexually violent. It's, um, yeah, it's pretty full on. Mm, not for everyone. Then. Definitely, definitely it's not for definitely everyone. Definitely not your usual read. Check you out. I didn't even blink at these <laughs> horrible bits. It was a bit, yeah, it was hard to read, but mm. not, yeah, anyway. Um, there are two follow-up books. Oh, I'll tell you what it's about, actually, first, obviously. Um, the tagline is, Surviving the Apocalypse is Only the Beginning. So, in the wake of a fever that decimated the Earth's population, killing women and children and making childbirth deadly for the mother and infant, the midwife must pick her way through the bones of the world she once knew to find her place in this new, dangerous world. 
Mm. Gone are the pillars of civilization. All that remains is power and the strong who possess it. It's pretty full on. Mm. Um, it's very fast paced in that it spans many years in this book. It's not a big book. Um, and it's set, It's written in sort of a journal, journal entries interspersed with third person narration. Right. So it definitely sounds like if you liked Handmaid's Tale, then... Yeah, it's would you it's, say um, it's a lot um, more along the line, lines of probably the road by Cormac McCarthy. Oh. It's more that end of dystopian. Okay, um, it's not civilized. It's not nice. There's no nice like everything's you you know people are traipsing through. But Cormac McCarthy's The Road is so sparse in its language, and I, I could that was a hard book I to could read. Not yeah, it's not as it very hard. It's not as um, tough as that okay at all um it was good because i didn't feel anything for the characters which is probably why i could get through it (laughs) and i don't mean that in a bad way right yeah because that doesn't sound good no it's um it's written very um unemotionally okay so it's kind of a detached yeah it's something if you liked um world war z by oh yeah that's that didn't Tom Cruise star in that? No, that was Brad Pitt. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's sort of a bit like that. It's like a factual account of what the world is like. Um, there's two follow-up books to this, which I will not read um, <laughs> because they've gotten not great reviews ah. and I feel like this book is standalone enough. I don't need to know more right. from this. I'm holding it up and shoving it in Paula's face. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, if you like that sort of thing, yeah, it's gotten really good reviews. It won a science fiction um, award in 2014. Um, So, yeah. Cool. Hardcore. Mm. Check you out. You're like a brand new reader. I know. (laughs) (laughs) What Um, else have you read? I read... Um, a non-fiction book. Well, actually, I listened to it on audiobook. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called This Is Going to Hurt by Adam Kay. Oh, yeah. And um, it's a memoir by uh, Adam Kay, who used to be a junior doctor in the NHS in the UK. And he kept notes from his time as a doctor from 2004 to 2010 when he stopped practicing. Um, I almost didn't... I almost started this book and then didn't finish it because... Initially, I've just found him. He the audiobook is read by the author, mm-hmm. and initially, I just found him so pompous and glib about mm. people's medical conditions that yeah. I was like, "Oh, I can't listen to this." I'm so glad I persevered with it. Um, I think that you know doctors have a hard slog, and they probably have to have some sort of armor. Yeah. And I think initially, some level of detachment. That's right. Yeah. And initially. Um, that put me off but um, if you're finding that definitely persevere with it because it's um, it's another important book especially for the UK to look at how their NHS um, is run Um, I thought it was I didn't realize that what prompted him to write it was um, in 2015 when there were contract disputes um, with the NHS and the government and it prompted um, their social care secretary to reportedly hint that junior doctors were lazy and Kay, Adam Kay took great 
umbrage with that. Mm. And, um, and rightly so when you listen to this or read this book and see what doctors in the UK have to sacrifice their Mm. family, their friends, they, you know, they can book time off sometimes, but usually it gets like, there were stories about people, you know, like, run getting away from their wedding <laughs> yeah you know to go and perform surgery yeah. um it's at times laugh out loud funny and like i was in my car just like ah like like really laughing out loud and sometimes like i was just exclaiming with horror at what people get up to sometimes mm. with things in parts Is it a of little their bit body um, salacious there there are yeah some i don't know if just yeah weird things that people <laughs> do and that go horribly horribly oh wrong God, i don't want to know gross <laughs> <laughs> anyway so yeah i would um and i was wondering why did i read this book be- or put this book on hold because i always wonder because i never remember but i actually started taking notes down when I put a book on hold and yeah and so the reason I did was because it was announced in August that the BBC is turning this into an eight-part dramedy they're calling it that'll be fun to watch and it's English or British as well yeah that sounds extra good yeah cool yeah so it's a good one nice one yeah um I started listening to audiobooks I know I'm so proud of you yay (laughs) go audiobooks (laughs) um which I downloaded from Libby if you don't use Libby get onto it it's awesome if you don't know what we're talking about ask at the library (laughs) or check online um or we'll just tell you that it's the app for listening to ebooks and audiobooks (laughs) probably better and it's yeah it's great you can it's a one-click approach and yeah, it's fabulous. Mm. Um, so I listened to two non-fiction books and I'll just whip through them because, you know, they're okay. Um, the Year of Less by Kate Flanders. Um, that's This is not a new book, but it was um, fairly popular several years ago. Um, it was – it's a raw account of living in excess. So living – excessive spending, excessive eating, excessive alcohol and excessive gathering of material items. Her account of not spending – anything um, other than her prescribed list of things, you know, like groceries or toilet paper. and. So you mean she's gone from excess to... Yes, to less. Ah, so it, it was, um, again, and it might be the same with you, I didn't, it was read by the author and I didn't love the way she read it. That's it important. It sounded a bit, a bit monotone and a bit whiny Mm. a little bit Um, and I wonder if I would have enjoyed it more reading it Mm. I don't know Um, but it's very raw there's some great lessons in there that she um, felt over the year Mm. Um, and I also listened to The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F by Mark Manson that's interesting because I tried reading that and Mm. I was actually put off by the the amount of F's (laughs) I know this is what I wrote it was I don't know if it was read by the author. I, th- I actually should have looked that up. I don't mm. know if it was read by the author, but the the narration was fine. Um, I think overall the content was really good and some great um, information and some great um, thoughtful moments. And this is going to make me sound like a super old, boring lady, but I could actually do without 
that amount of swearing. Well, maybe I'm a super old, boring <laughs> lady too. And my partner is super old and boring, but both of us. And I think I'm affected by him. He hates language, mm. coarse language, even more than I do. I kind of, like, we, we struggle when we listen to comedy, stand-up comedy, because yeah. so much of it's got language. And to me, it doesn't bother me. But for him, it's, yeah. he's like, ah. Um, but, yeah, I was, so it, every much. second word, it was just like, and I, I get it. I wonder if that, I mean, obviously it was deliberate because... It's a bit of a gimmick. It's a gimmick and it's targeting a certain type of audience, mm. which is probably youngish males, I would say. I might be generalising a little bit here, but sure. I can see it, even the cover art, you know, it's certainly got a look to appeal to a certain segment of the market mm. and I'm possibly not in that segment Right. Because I was like, oh, do you have to stress? <laughs> and, you know, I'm I'm not super clean all the time <laughs> with my language. With your language, let's be clear. <laughs> but I certainly, you know, don't drop the F word every second word. Yeah. Anyway. It just got repetitive. It wasn't even... That's what it it's is. The it repe- just, it's the repetitiveness. Yeah. I felt like it dumbed it down a little bit and yeah. I didn't need to be... I didn't need to be spoken to like that and I didn't need all that swearing to be able to appreciate the content yeah get the message yeah because the message was sound like the yeah, content totally. yeah yeah yep i agree anyway that's mm. what i read does it count as reading listening to an audiobook oh didn't you see the post that was I on our face? i did and I <laughs> you, knew you did would that, say that just to and i <laughs> just bit to rile you very <laughs> <laughs> <So> easy <sighs> so now comes our favorite part of the podcast where jane tells us <laughs> what we should be reading this month What's new? Okay. Again, there's heaps of stuff coming out this month, which is exciting. So I'll whip through. Um, Elliot Perlman, he's got a book. Have you seen that cover? I'm showing it to Paula. Maybe uh, the horse will talk. Oh, I, with the horse head. I feel like maybe I have. This is out the 1st of October. He is an Aussie writer. This is a penguin book. Um, this is the little blurb. To keep the job he hates, pay the mortgage and salvage his marry, marriage. Stephen will have to do anything he never... Do something he never thought himself capable of. But if he's not careful, it might just be the last job he ever has. Warm, dramatic and with the narrative to pull off a thriller. Um, It's a reflection of contemporary marriage and friendship, unflinching examination of workplace dynamics and an expose of corporate corruption that taps directly into the pulse of our times. Mm. That's a pretty big task. Yeah. That That's book. A lo- there's a lot in that. Yeah. Mm. I got given a proof copy of this and I started just the first couple of pages yesterday just to see what I thought. Mm. And um, it sounds pretty good. So I think right. I'll probably read that one. But that's getting a fair bit of um, media. It's got a really unusual cover. So it's um, you're going to see it around the place. So cool. that's um, maybe the horse will talk. Elliot Perlman. Um, Jojo Moyers. Is that how you say her name? Jojo I think Mo- so. Uh, that's how I say it in my head anyway. Yep. Jojo Moyers, big popular author, The Giver of Stars. That's out on the 1st of October. I won't bother reading the blurb because her fans she, will just read yeah, whatever right. she puts Jojo out. Jojo Moyes stands by herself. Yep. Yeah, that's on right. On her own. Yep. Um, Zadie Smith's got a new book coming out. This is on the 15th of October. She wrote White Teeth, which was a massive book. Oh, so long ago now. Have you read any of her books? No, I Neither haven't. Have I. Neither have I. Mm. Um, this is her first collection of doesn't say short stories, but I assume it's short stories. Is she a short story writer? No. She oh. normally writes just long fiction. Mm. Um, so this is her first collection of short stories. Um, and it's called Grand Union, this book. 
Um, yeah, that looks quite good. Mm. Uh, let's see. Now, this one you'll probably see around a bit. This is by Bloomsbury, um, who's a bit of a boutique publisher. Uh, Laura Purcell, Bone China. Have you seen that cover? No. That um, is out on the October the 1st as well. That is getting a bit of media attention and it's a little bit – it's one of those um, publishers sort of talking about it a little bit. Um, a deliciously dark and skillfully woven gothic th- chiller hmm. set on the mysterious Cornish coast in England. A gripping tale from the award-winning author of The Silent Companions and The Corset. Now, I know I said chiller and I meant to say chiller, not thriller. Right, because that's I what they've written. That's what they've written. Right. Skillfully woven gothic Chiller. chiller. Well, that's a new <laughs> literary word for us. Yeah. Usually that's chiller a fiction. nice beverage on a hot day. <laughs> so that sounds intriguing. Mm. Just, yeah, if nothing else. Um, and another one that's coming out, this is another Australian author. We like to um, talk about our Aussie authors when we can. Definitely. Frances Whiting, The Best Kind of Beautiful. Now, this one is... Um, when I was at the August Publisher Roadshows, this is one that lots of people were talking about and one of their favourites from the list for the rest of the year. Um, and they said, think uh, Leanne Moriarty crossed with Ele- Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. Ah. Mm-hmm. I thought that might pique your interest yeah. a little. We talked about Eleanor Oliphant on the podcast previously. Yeah. 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 Mm. Um, so that's coming out at the end of October, so the 29th, that comes out. So that's a beautiful looking book. Um, she's a um, columnist and um, she's been writing for the Sunday Mail for 20 years. Um, and it doesn't actually, I don't actually know what this book's about, but if you're thinking Leanne Moriarty and, and you Eleanor liked Eleanor, if you and liked it's got those, a good cover, I'm sold. Yeah. <laughs> Give it a go. So that's my picks for next month. Cool. Oh, Love hang it. on. No, there's one more. One more important one. Which is um, Cecilia Ahern has got oh. um, the sequel to P.S. I Love You. Oh, wow. Which was written 15 years ago. Right, and maybe made a movie out made of it. Made a movie. Gerard Butler, Hilary mm. Swank. That's right. Um, romantic. I'd, I've not read it. Have you read P.S. No. I Love You? No, and I don't even know if I've seen the movie. Nor have I either mm. of those two things. Um, but P.S. I Love You sold 25 million copies around the world. So this is called Postscript and it picks up seven years after P.S. I Love You. So there are a lot of Cecilia Hearn fans. Sure. She's written tons of books. Um, and if you loved P.S. I Love You, then you might be interested in this. Yeah, that I can comes see. out that sometime this one. month. Um, that's a HarperCollins book. Exciting for yeah. fans of hers. Yeah. yeah, really exciting. Maybe we should read P.S. I Love You. And I feel like Maybe. sometimes <laughs> the podcast where Jane and I admit we haven't read lots of books. <laughs> I know when we I re-listened to our last one, there was like five books. Like, have you read that? No, no neither. No. Neither. God, what are we reading? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> but you've heard us. We, we, do, do, we do read lots of stuff. We do. We try. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you wanted to mentioned before we talk about next month's book i don't think so i think you should go ahead okay yep um so we're really excited about this next book yeah because jane came back from that same road show that you just yeah. mentioned yeah and she showed me the pamphlet and she said this is 
Well, you say, how did they yeah. describe the, the... Well, this book is going to be big news. This is a Harper book um, and it's called After the Flood by Cassandra Montag or Montag, however you like to say that. <laughs> um, this is her first book, so a debut novel mm. for her and at the um, London... It called the London book fair, book was it? fair. Yeah, yeah, London Book Fair 2018. London Book Fair. This was talk of the fair, mm. and people were clamoring for it. And there was a bit of a argy bargy about the rights to the book to publish it. Um, so that was um, really exciting. So, and then as soon it was as soon as the, it was sold, the television rights were sold to wow. this book like at the same time. Right. So before it was even released, well, it's only coming out this month. So before it was even released as a book. They've sold the rights. They're calling it um, – what is the thing? They're pitching it as The Handmaid's Tale meets Game of Thrones. Right. I mean, gosh. When Jane said that, that's when I was like, oh, yes, we have to read it yeah. for the podcast. So it's a seven-figure deal to produce a TV series. So that's massive mm. news for a debut novel. Yeah, that's wow. full on. Um, so you're going to see this around everywhere from um, – this month from October because mm. people are going to be after it. Um, after the Flood is an explosive debut that will be published simultaneously around the world and cause a sensation at the 2018 London Book Fair. Resonant with contemporary cultural concerns from Me Too to climate change, it is a novel which, much like Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale, will make a significant contribution to the much larger social conversation. This powerful and riveting saga about a mother, her daughters and their struggle to survive in a post-apocalyptic flooded world is driven by the raw and urgent power of a mother's love and the choices she must make in her quest to save them. Yep. Full on. Full on. Yeah. But you can go there now apparently. I can do it now. (laughs) (laughs) After that midwife book, I think that I'll be fine. (laughs) So I know that we realise that we're doing two – well, this one's more post-apocalyptic. Whereas Handmaids and Testaments is more dystopian. Mm. So, you know, there's differences between those two genres. Yeah. Um, but I think that we're all up for it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, we're excited, excited about Excited to it. read that one. Yeah. yeah. And we'll see how it goes. Yeah, so um, put that one on hold for yourself. Read along. Mm-hmm. Or you can grab it off our express yes. shelf. Yes, come in and grab it straight away. Yeah. That's it. That's it for October. Yeah. Done and dusted. Cool. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Into it like this. Maybe like this. But then I have trouble reading my notes. That's the other thing. Maybe if I do it like that. Maybe that's good. Just try this. Professional, <coughs> <aren't we>? <laughs> <laughs> I've gone the other way this time. Yeah, I used to, I used to like it from up top, but I'm trying it like this. <laughs> <laughs> There's our uh, outtake. Yeah. For the end of the episode. Always looking for an outtake. <laughs> <laughs>